turn to Colossians 3. And uh, as a bit of housekeeping, um, you'll notice on a couple of the doors, we're going to begin at 9.30, uh, locking all the, just the perimeter doors, except there's two sets of doors in the fellowship hall there at the south end of the building. One of those sets will be open just for security. Um, there no, we haven't, I don't want you to think anybody has made any threats or anything like that. We just, we have a security team that's constantly looking out and just thinking of ways that we can be safe while we're here. And so, uh, if you get here after 930, those doors are going to be locked. You'll need to come in this south entrance there just, um, again, for security purposes. As we look at the landscape of our culture and things we want to, Go do whatever we can to make sure we're as safe as possible. And so I hope you'll understand that. We don't want to create an undue inconvenience, but we also want to, we also want to be safe as we can while we're here. And so um, just so you understand the context, nothing, we don't, we're not, nothing has been threatened, nothing has been said, um, but in a proactive measure. So I just wanted to speak to that. We, our security team is going to make a presentation um, in the coming weeks of some additions that we've made to the building and, and that for security purposes. And so they'll bring you into the loop on there. So Colossians 3, verses 8 through 11. Last week we looked at verses 5 through 7 and that we are to be dead to immorality, to impurity, to passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. We we talked about uh, sexually oriented sin there and, and how the, the wrath of God is coming forth against the sons of disobedience, those who participate in those types of, of deeds. We are temples of the living God, 1 Corinthians 6. We are to be separated. Our bodies are to be used for God's glory. We are indwelt with the Spirit and 1 Corinthians 6, we talked about, is adding commentary to that, that therefore whatever we join ourselves to, we're joining Christ to. You're a temple. You're a temple of the living God. And as such, he says in verse 19 of chapter 6, we have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The, the reasonable response the, the, to having been bought with a price, to having then you're being indwelt with the Spirit is glorify God in your body. And in that culture and in our culture, uh, sexually oriented sin was rampant. And, and so we, we talked about that. And Paul goes on in verse 8 to speak to another really sin that is rampant. It's really a sin that's probably the easiest of all sin, meaning that the, the, there are some things for us to commit sin that we need some things to fall in place. We need some, some things to happen in order to do that. But, but what we see today with regards to sins of the tongue, anytime, any moment, we can sin with our tongue. All the ingredients needed in order for us to commit those sins are always there. And just like, our, just like our sexual morality is to mark off who we are, the, the reality is, is we, are submitting, we are submitting as believers to God's wisdom, God's creative order, where He said, look, uh, sex is to be reserved between a man and a woman within the context 
a marriage. And, and I had the privilege of following that up with our middle school and high schoolers last week. And we drew a circle and inside it, we put the word sex and a man and woman and all of them not married. Therefore, they're outside the circle. And we talked about to go inside that circle. It's called trespass. To go somewhere where you're not allowed to go. To go someplace where God has not called you to go. You're not allowed inside the circle until you're a man and a woman and you're married. You're trespassing. You're, you're going someplace where God has said you're not allowed to go yet. It's a good place, but you're not allowed to go there yet. And as Christians... As Christians, we submit to God's rule, even over, even over sex. We humbly submit to God's created order there. And, and our attitudes about sex and, and those things are to be reflective of us as believers. It is to reflect, it, putting off those old garments, putting on new. Colossians 3, 1-4, setting our minds on the things above, not on the things that are blowing. And what we see today is a further reflection of that in our words. Our words are to mark us off as new creations. Our words are to be overflows of people who have set their minds on things above, not on the things that are below. And, and last week, I, as I taught the middle schoolers and, and high schoolers, I thought about the culture that they're growing up in, the culture that we're living in, where we're inundated not only with sex, but we're inundated with just, just foul words and, and anger. And I thought about, and, and I hope this illustration, I, I try to be very careful with illustrations because I don't want you to lose the import of the word over the illustration, and I, I want it to make sense, but when I was, when I was uh, in middle school, when I was in high school, all throughout my middle school years uh, and into high school, I battled allergies. I had severe, severe allergies. And, and anyone who, who unfortunately, one of the bad things about DNA is you pass these things on to your children, and my son battles with severe allergies. If you've battled with severe, you know the eyes itching, the, the throat, all that went with that. I feel like I spent most of my middle school, high school years at home with, not to be crude, but with Kleenexes in my nose because I would just get tired of blowing my nose. I would just get tired of it. And, and there was a treatment, there was a treatment that, that was offered at the, at the time. And so I went in and, and they determined through pricking my back about 75 times, they determined the things that I was most allergic to, and unfortunately it was pollen, which un unavoidable, house dust, blessings on Karen's head there, and, and, my, and myself for having to clean the house and avoid pollen and house dust, and cats. I'm not a big fan of cats. Forgive me if you're a cat lover. And, and so what they did in response to that, once they determined what, what I did was, every, it started out every day, I would go to this, to this clinic, and they, in smaller doses, it started off every day, and then it got to once a week, and then it got to every other week, and then it got to once a month as they increased the doses. What, what an allergy is, is basically, is my body would overreact to those things. It would be an overreaction. And so what they did through small doses, and, and eventually it increased, 
they made my body more and more and more and more familiar with dust and pollen. Jen's shaking her head yes, so I'm hoping this is true. This is what I was told, so you're saying it's true, so it makes for a good analogy. So if it's not true, just keep quiet, please. <laughs> Don't spoil it. No, but what they would do is they introduced my body to pollen and dust and cats over and over and over again. It started every day I would go and get a shot. Then I built it up to every, every, every other day. Then it was once a week. Then it was every couple weeks. And what they did is they familiarized my body with these foreign things so that when I encountered dust and pollen and cats, my body would no longer overreact. And you see, I think that's the way our culture is. God, as Christians, we're wired to overreact to sin, to react rightly to sin. And through constant inundation of sex over and over through all the areas of our culture, through, through even through the words, you know what? It's become normal. We no, we, no longer, oh, we no longer react as we rightly should to sin uh, that's sexually oriented, to sin. To, we're, not ama- we're not astounded by the words that come out of our mouth the Lord's name being taken in vain, anger, all these things are commonplace, even in the body of Christ. Why? Because Satan, little by little by little, inundates us with it. And that which we were to react to with a defense, because of just being innocuous, just over and over and over, we no longer react anymore. You see the point? And, And that's great when it's allergies. But that's not, so, that's not good at all when we're talking about Christians and their reaction to sin. And Christians and their defense to sin. And so, again, little by little by little, Satan introduces these things and just bombards us with these things. So that our body, we don't overreact anymore. We're not ashamed. What ought to be foreign now has become commonplace. What ought to initiate when our, as believers, when we come in contact with it, what ought to elicit a response, what ought to elicit a defense, what ought to, we, we went and saw the Star Wars movie Thursday night and there were previews and, and my son, to his, has been trained, he, he looked down. He immediately knew to hide his eyes. And I thought about that, why are, why are his mom and dad not hiding their eyes? Because we've, we've just been desensitized. And I think even with regards to uh, not, only, not only sex, but even with regards to our words, we, we don't really even pay attention to the words coming out of our mouth. We don't pay attention anymore to the heart behind the words, as we'll see today they're coming out. Because we've been desensitized. We live in a world that's angry. We live in a world that, that it's, it's commonplace to be angry. It's commonplace to cut people down. It's commonplace to use people to, to get ahead. And, and to the point where, you know, it's around us so much. I, I, even when I, I remember asking my son, and when he went to middle school, I said, Bradley, what, what's surprising, what's shocking to you about middle school? What's tough? You know what he said? The language. The language. It's everywhere. 
Christians, non-Christians. And Satan has desensitized us to the things that we ought to be sensitive to that we don't even know the words that are coming out of our mouths a lot of time. And, and to maintain that sensitivity, that's why we come to the Word of God daily. That's why we hide the Word of God in our heart. That's our way of maintaining a sensitivity to the things that God wants us to be sensitive to. That's how we maintain, again, setting our minds, he said in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, on things above, not on the things below. That's how we maintain sensitivity to the things that we ought to be sensitive to. Let the Word of God, we'll see it in Colossians 3, 16, richly dwell within you. Therefore, we'll see, when your mouth speaks, what do people get? They get the Word of God. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and one of the ways that we're to put off the old self and put on the new self, one of the ways that we're to mark off us being believers before watching world is through our words. And it's a battle. I, I read Matthew 12 and he talks about, we'll see it today, but you'll give an account for every careless word spoken. Listen to me. I made a living in my middle school and high school days prior to Christ cutting people down with my words. And not, again, not, not, I was never, it never foul mouth in the sense of bad language, but, if, but if, it, if it got a laugh, I said it. It didn't matter who paid the price. And you know what I'm learning? The root of that was, the root of that, that was my problem. That was a heart that was foul. That was a heart that needed, that needed uh, what only Christ could provide. And, and I think about that verse, and, I, and I'm regularly, regularly the Holy Spirit, as I ask, He'll bring people to mind that I, that I know that I need to apologize if I saw them today. The first thing I should do to them is say, look, I, I'm sorry. But, but part of that, again, through our words, we're putting to death the old self. Look at what he says in, in verse 8 through 11. But now, but now, you see the contrast? But now, as a believer, there should be a marked difference. There's some up here, Greg. If y'all need, there's some up here on the third row behind Esther and Akeem there. But now, you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and all. Paul is saying, believer, die to your old Self, your former way of life, your, your, old, your old ways of communicating, your old ways of seeing people, your old ways of thinking about people, your old ways of gaining popularity, your old ways of elevating yourself at the expense of words, the, your old ways of being angry. Really, all of those words have to deal with anger. Understand who you are in Christ. Understand that you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Understand what Christ has declared over you, has promised to you, and that, that nothing in this world can separate you 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You have been redeemed, not with perishable gold and silver, but with imperishable. And 1 Peter says, it's God himself who guards your inheritance. Therefore, put away also all malice and anger and all those other things. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And one of the marks of a believer ought to be that that ought to be flowing out of our mouths. And, and, and this was not a fun passage to, to meditate on for me over the last week, simply because I know that my mouth has been used as a weapon in the wrong way. And listen, I can be as quick as anybody with a retort. I can be as quick as anybody to say something funny and not think about ahead of time what I'm saying. And that's it's, it's the battle. To maintain, to not lose sensitivity to our words and the power of our words. To, to understand the sensitivity even to the effect that our words have on those around us. And again, all of it goes back to who we are in Christ. And, and even the smallest things in our lives, even the simplest things, words, giving them over to the glory of God, using them as a, as a means of departing or imparting grace to another individual, all flowing from, again, who we are in Christ. And, and the main point you'll see on your handout, it's a battle. Same thing we said last week, same context. Believers must aggressively fight sin so that we will accurately reflect our Savior. That we will be a display of the power of the gospel, even in the words that we choose. And as we study Colossians 3 here today, I want you to put your finger there, but I also want you to put your finger, flip back a few pages, a few books, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4, because Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32, it parallels what we see and it adds color and commentary to what we see here today in Colossians 3. And so I want to flip back and forth to these passages. There's so much of what we see in Ephesians and Colossians parallel. And I want to use Ephesians 4 to shed light on what we see in Colossians chapter 3. And so a first point there, how do we, again, how do we aggressively fight sin in the regards to our words? Why do we aggressively fight sin in regards to our words? And, and how does who we are in Christ fuel that? And that's point one. As Christians, believers, we are commanded to contemplate our language in a new way in light of who we are. We've got to look at language in a new way. We've got to see our language in new light. We, we've got to look at our language in light of who we are in Christ. Again, the context is put on your new self. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are earth. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. You, you are hidden, verse 3, in Christ. Our language ought to be reflective of the promise and the status of who we are in Christ. It ought to be reflective. The joy of that ought to overflow into our language. In, in verse 8, but now, you see the contrast. A, a, a marked contrast 
from who you were prior to Christ, who you are now in Christ. Not only in our, in our view of sexual morality, but our view of language. And, and our Christianity affects, it goes so much deeper than the surface, even in our words, it goes to the heart. And what Paul is getting at is the heart behind the words. Every part of our being is contrasted between now who we are in Christ and who we were outside of Christ. Christ has access and lordship and sovereignty over every part of our being. He has the authority to speak into every single part of our lives, and in this case, our words, our language. And really what the Gospels speak to and what the Word speaks to is, is, is there's a, you know, here he speaks specifically to put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, language that's angry. And what Paul gets at is the heart. If that's your language today, check your heart. Why? There's a heart behind those words. Those words are not flowing out of nowhere. There's a spring that's generating those words. And the Word of God says clearly that spring is a heart. Is a heart. L listen to, listen to um, Matthew chapter 12 real quick. And, and again, these are strong. Matthew, Jesus speaks regularly to our words and the power of our words uh, and, and the, the effects of our words, but also the source of our words. Listen to this. Matthew 12, verse 33, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Now listen, the fruit here are our words. The evidence of the good tree or the bad tree, the fruit that marks off the good tree and the bad tree is going to be our words. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak, see it, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Listen, verse 36. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. That's a trembling praise God for the grace of God right there. Because listen... There's a serious debt in my life from careless words, unfortunately. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Flip over a couple to Matthew 15, verses 15 through 19. He just said in verse 11, It's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of a man's mouth, that's what defiles him. Why? Because it comes from the heart. And he goes on to say, Peter said to him, explain the parable. And he said, are you still lacking in understanding also? I, Jesus had a little sense of humor there. We, we would have said it differently. But do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But listen, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile a man. Listen, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, Thefts, false witness, slanders. That the person who commits all of those, listen, you know what that fruit's showing? It's showing a bad heart. It's showing a heart problem. 
Those words, my words, your words, they're not just coming out of nowhere. They're originated in a heart that, it, that either is not saved, has not been circumcised, or it's a heart that the Word of God is not richly dwelling in and is not fully grasped who we are in Christ, has not allowed the grace of God to, to overwhelm their heart and, and really put a filter on their heart the way that it's intended, the Word of God richly dwelling in us. It's the world that's richly dwelling in us, and therefore when we're shaken, people get the world. Versus if the Word of God was richly dwelling in us, when we're shaken, you know what they get? They get the Word. I mean, if I had a cup up here and I filled it with pure water, what do I get if I spill that cup? Pure water. But if I fill that cup with partially pure water, partially dirty water, why when you're driving down the street do sometimes you're okay with the guy who cuts you off and then sometimes you're not okay with the guy who cuts you? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. These are the things, verse 20, that defile a man. And some of us are way more careful with what goes into our mouth than we are concerned about what's coming out of our mouth. And the things that go into our mouth is not what defile us. He makes it very clear those things are passed through the stomach. It's what comes out of a man's mouth. And again, that's what I'm talking about, our sensitivity. We're more sensitive to what goes into our mouth than we are about what's coming out of our mouth. Because it's so commonplace. And, and just like in Matthew 15, just like in Colossians, slander and lying, false witness, those are not to mark a believer. They're not to mark a believer's life. They're to be put away. They're to be shed from our mouth. Why? Because we have a heart that beats for Christ. We are to have hearts that are so overwhelmed with the grace of God that has been poured out through Christ Jesus that what people get is speech that's seasoned with the gospel. Why? Because our minds are fixated on the gospel. They're fixated on things above, not on the things below. Because again, it's the things below that make us angry. It's the horizontal things that make us angry. Don't fix your mind on those. When our hope is fixated on the horizontal, when our hope is fixated on the things of this earth, and, and, and things frustrate our desires that are too earthly-centered, what do we get? We get anger. Why? Because our earthly goals have been frustrated when our earthly goals ought to be heavenly-centered. And we know that we have a God who will never be frustrated in that, that His plans will always prevail. Usually what makes me angry is when my glory has been thwarted or my glory has been attacked, again, when I'm not fixated on God's glory. And there ought to be some things, side note, there ought to be things in our lives, believer, that make us angry, but those are God-centered, God-oriented things. Those are sin-oriented. Usually, let's be honest, the things that make me angry are things about my glory. They're me-centered things. It, again, we'll see in Ephesians 4, he says, be angry and do not sin. It's not a sin in and of itself to be angry. There are some things you ought to be angry about as a believer. The sin is when I'm angry, most of the time I'm angry about myself, things about myself. They're not God-centered things. And in view of who we are in Christ, our language ought to change. Our language ought to be changed by who we are in Christ. Listen to Ephesians 4. I said 
Flip over to Ephesians 4, verse 25 through 29. You'll, you'll see this, and he uses language that's different, and it brings clarity and, and, and detail and color. Therefore, Paul, again, therefore, he's going back. Chapter 4 in Ephesians begins, 1 through 3 has, has what we said. 1 through 3 is the indicative. It shows you who you are in Christ, what Christ has done for you, everything that God has done for you in Christ. New position. He begins chapter 4. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Verse 17. Therefore, walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Verse 25. Therefore, because of who you are in Christ, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not the let, sun, let the sun go down in your anger and do not, listen, give the, evil, the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Again, the same thing we see in Colossians 3, put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Again, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Do you see how the gospel is the origin? Even our forgiveness, even our forgiveness flows from the gospel. Why? Because you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven a huge debt. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sin, you have forgiven, forgiven of an immense debt. To not forgive makes no sense. And interestingly enough, though in Matthew 12, we, you saw him speaking to bad fruit. The same word for bad there is used in Ephesians 4.29 that he used for unwholesome. Unwholesome words, not words that do not edify, words that do not build another person up, that's bad fruit. Not in line with the gospel. And, and what we see here, you see it on your handout, the deep, Renewal of salvation is to be seen even through the words that flow out of our mouths. And our words tell on us. They're like windows into our hearts. Again, verse 9, put aside these things. They are not to mark a believer's life. Take them off just like you would dirty clothes. Growing up, my mom, my mom is a very, very clean, uh, neat person. And, and there would be times where I would be playing all day, uh, and, and I would come in, and my mom would say, look, you're not coming to the house with those things on. We had a pass-through in between the garage that was screened in and that, and she's like, you better take those things off, and then you can come inside. And, and that's literally the picture that Paul paints here. Take off the malice, the slander. Put them away like you would old, nasty, dirty clothes. They have no business marking the believer's life. And I love the way that Paul does this. It's interesting because he doesn't just come out and command us to clean up our language. He, he, doesn't, just, he doesn't give us a word that says, look, these are the words on the good list, 
these are the words on the bad list because that's tend to, that's kind of how we relate. Well, okay, tell me the words I can say. Tell me the words I can't say. Tell me the words that are that are not vulgar, and tell me the words that are vulgar. What what can I? How close to the line can I get? He simply just says, "Look, let your speech be pure. Let your speech be edifying." That that's all he says. Let it be. Let it be pure. Because listen, we can use all the right language, but still have a heart that's far from God. This is to be the natural overflow of a person whose mind is focused on the things above. And instead of proposing clean language, Paul, what he does is he gives us a new way of thinking about our language in light of the gospel. See that. We are to see our language in light of the gospel. It's not just... Not just about new words, it's seeing it in light of the gospel, seeing our language as a con- conveyor of gospel grace. I, I, again, he doesn't say, you don't, need, don't, you don't need dirty language to communicate your intention. He says, the root of what your intention, the root of everything you say is to be love. The root of everything you say is to be the edification of the one who hears it. You see, the, there's a difference. It's, it's using my language not for selfish gain. It's using my language for the other person to be edified. Because the real issue is not language. The, the main issue is not the words. The, meal, the real issue is the heart behind the words. And the heart behind the words in this case lacks love when malice and slander and evil and these things he lists why do we speak that way? Because it's a heart problem. It's not that we need to new, learn a new vocabulary. We need a heart that's circumcised by the gospel that's set and focused on the things above, and out of that, words will flow. When our minds are fixated on grace and fixated on the gospel, gracious and gospel-centered communication will naturally flow. That's what he's saying. Deal with the heart, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Fix your mind on the things above, he says. And you see it on your handout. The issue is not whether our mouth can avoid gross language, but it's whether our mouth is being used as a means of grace. You, you combine Colossians 3, 8-11 with Ephesians 4, 25-31, and again... It's all focused on the internal source, the heart. Why are you so angry? Why why are you using your words to to destroy others? We're to be conveyors of grace. We have had grace given to us. You know what he says? Now give it away through how you speak. Give the grace that you've received away through how you speak and encourage one another. And again, the whole context of, the, of Colossians and Ephesians is, is the one another. It's one another. Let no rotten talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edifying. The word there literally means it fits the need of the moment. Even in our words, our words are to meet needs. Our words are to build people up. Our words are to be grace-centered and conveyors of grace. And again, you see the shift. He doesn't say necessarily just, let no rotten talk come out of your mouth. Instead, he says, ask your mouth this. 
Is my mouth a means of grace? Does my mouth convey grace to the hearer? And does my mouth, am I meeting the needs of the other person in my mouth? Am I building up the faith of the person hearing my words or am I tearing them down? Is my language reflective of the grace that I've been given through the gospel or is my language reflective of something else? Again, the grace you've received, let it flow to others through how you speak. And what he's saying, you see it there, the next fill-in, we are to see everything about our lives, even our words, in light of who we are in Christ. In light of who we are in Christ. Again, more than just, this is so, it, our position in Christ. It's more than just externals. He's talking about the source here. Every, we're going to see it in Colossians 3, we're going to see it in Colossians 4. Every component of, of your life, believer, is to be subjected to the Lordship of Christ and is to be submitted to Him for His glory. Every, from the smallest to the largest, subjected to Christ. Every area. And, and again, li listen to Ephesians 4. This is so, again... And it goes back to a deeper motive. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Listen to this, even about our work ethic. He says, he who steals must steal no longer. You would think that would be obvious. Look, steal no longer. Got it, okay? Just externals. But rather, he must labor, okay? We love that one. Quit stealing, go get a job. We love that one. But listen to the why. But listen to the why. Performing with his own hands what is good... So that, listen, so that he will have something to share with the one who has a need. Let's be honest. How many of us get up in the morning and think, I'm going to go work real hard. And part of the reason I'm going to go to work real hard today is to provide for my family and so that I can joyfully provide for another family who's not able to provide for themselves. That's what he says. Amongst the body, I, I, do, do we see our labor as a means of providing, of God providing for His family, for His children, for the body of Christ? Do we see ourselves, again, I, I, don't go so far to where, I'm not, I'm not saying let somebody be lazy and not work. I'm saying there are genuinely people in this body who can't. There are genuinely, in the, you know, widows, orphans, those, there are, do we see our, are we literally, are we going to work and working hard, not only to provide for our family, but to provide for others who can't? You, you see how it goes so much deeper than just the external. And, and, and even in that, we're fighting materialism. We're fighting our hope, 1 Timothy 6, resting in our stuff. Our hope is in the gospel. Our hope is in the God who, by the way, gave you all the resources you need that make you able to go out and do that job that you do. And he didn't do that for you to think just of yourself or me to think of myself. He did that to provide for his body in a holistic way. And e even down to the way we work. It's, it, listen, it's not Christian. What he's saying is it's not Christian just to stop stealing. It's not Christian just to work honestly to have things. It, the real essence of Christianity is when you see your job as a means of conveying grace, not only to your family, but to those around you. 
That's, that's the heart that God is after in his people. It goes way beyond just the externals. It's how we see what we're doing. It's the why behind. Am I going to work for me and my family alone? Or am I going to work? Am, I mean, have I worked out in my budget? It goes deep. Have we literally worked out in our budget a, a portion of our money that we're just going to say, look, and our resources that that is earmarked to give away, not just to the church. Not, I'm not talking about your offering to the church. I'm talking beyond that, that, if, that if, if, if a need comes up, we can meet it. And listen, there's no excuse not to do that. The Word of God is very clear. The culture, again, the culture is if you make, make $50,000, live off $60,000. That's the culture we live in. And God's Word is saying, no, no, no. You, thrive, you, you as believer, here's what would really glorify me is if you go to work every day, not only to provide for your family, but to provide for people who cannot work for themselves, who cannot, through whatever circumstances that a sovereign God has allowed, are not able to meet their needs. Whole different mentality. I mean, we'll get there in Colossians 3, 23, but that's what he says. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. And, and, and that's exactly what he's saying behind language. It's not about just eliminating words from your mouth that are potty words, if you will. It's about seeing your language as a means of conveying grace to other people. It's not just about you. It's about using your words. It's not only so people say, oh, you have such a clean mouth. No, no, it's you have a grace-filled mouth that communicates grace to everyone around you. Not just abstaining from bad words. Are your words, are my words edifying? Do they impart grace? Do they meet the needs of those? Because think about it, people around you right now that need a word of grace, that need an encouraging word. You think about the effect that Christians would have on the culture and those around us if we were known for our words being grace-filled. Like, I just want to get around that person. I feel so much, I feel just encouraged when I'm around that person. You know what the question naturally would be? Where's all that come from? Christ. There's a cistern that holds water forever, and his name is Jesus Christ. The gospel. But it starts with us fixating our minds on the things above, not on the things below. And I hope you see how far-reaching and all-encompassing Christianity is how we are here to glorify our Savior in every respect, even our words. Even our words. And we're to be evidence, evidence. The evidence of a Christian is a person whose, whose mouth simply doesn't have bad words in it, whose mouth has grace-filled words in it. It's not just about eliminating the bad words. It's about the gospel producing grace-filled words in us so that we're able to meet the need of the moment. we got to see our language in a whole new way as believers.
But not only that, number two, our new language is fueled by the hope and security we have in Christ as we grow in His likeness. In the gospel, we've been given an inheritance that will not fade away. We've been given a position that cannot be touched. We've been adopted. We've been, we've been already in God's economy. We've already been glorified. Listen, because of that, when we focus on that, I don't need to use my language to build myself up any longer. Christ has already done that for me. He's already established me. I don't need to be glorified through my language. I don't need to fret. I don't need to worry. I don't need to be angry unnecessarily at the things that, that, that do that. Why? Because nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And the reality is that in God's sovereignty, He's using every single one of these things to perfect us, to, to mold us into His image, to make us more like Him. Even the worst things, God is sovereign over. And again, 2 Corinthians 4, this momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Looking not to what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is permanent. No, nothing, nothing, nothing in my life, believer, because of the hope and security that I have in Christ, nothing is wasted. God is using it to, to mold us. And that's the fill-in there. Believers are to become, and we are becoming, what we really are in Christ while we wait on Christ. We're to pursue what we will be even as we wait. This is part of that, that already not yet aspect of, of Again, have I been adopted? Yes. Do I fully experience that adoption? No. That's Romans 8. But in the meantime, while I wait, pursue it. Pursue it. Paul says in Philippians 3, not that we have obtained it, but we press on to maturity. And it's the hope and security that he offers us that allow us to do that. And, And this is, again, it's such a how the... Fixing our minds on the things above creates hope. And I I think that what he says here in verses 9 and 10, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self and its evil practices and have put on the new self of being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I think that is the same thing as what Paul says in verse 30 of Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We are guaranteed redemption. Live that way now. God has, through His Spirit, has put a stamp, a guaranteed stamp on your life and my life, believer. Guaranteed that we will persevere. Those who are really believers will persevere to the day of redemption. It's the assurance of hope. And and that one day, one day at the end of history, we will be redeemed. One day, day we we will set aside this tent this dwelling, and we will put on that which is imperishable. It is at that day when our deepest longings will be satisfied, our faith will become sight, we will fully comprehend. But look in, no more groanings of imperfections as Romans 8 talks about, no more waiting, no more frustrated longings, our redemption will be complete. But until then, hope in Christ. Until then, persevere in Christ. 
and, and fix your mind on the fact that we have been given a seal. We are secure of an infinitely wonderful future. Fix your minds on that. That, that the hope that we've been saved in. L live in light today of the coming day of our redemption, of our glorification. Hope, hope and speak to one another now in the power of that same Spirit that secures and seals. And what he's saying is in light of to do otherwise is to grieve the Spirit. And, and live in light of all that we're guaranteed. And joy should flow from that as we fix our minds on the things above, not malice and slander. Those things are earthly focused. And you'll see it. We are to speak to people on your handout there according, according to the truth of who they are in Christ. To, to condemn or malign or slander somebody who is a believer is to lie to them. You are declaring something about their life that Christ has declared otherwise. Romans 8.1, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're lying. You're saying something about their life that is not true. You're, you're taking their mind to places that are not true. Philippians 4, whatever's good, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's good repute, think on these things. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, to fill their minds with slander and malice. You're destroying the one for whom Christ died. And we've been given a hope. And instead of hoping, we're fretting. We've been given a name above all other names, and yet we're trying to establish our own. It, again, our minds. Fix your minds on the things above. And that grieves, again, grieves the spirit there. And, and the language that comes out of our heart that doesn't hope in God, it will, not, it will not impart grace to the hearer. Our mouths will not be means of grace. They'll be means of slander and poison and lies. And you see it there on your handout. It's a long fill-in. But if, you, if we as believers would stop and think for a moment, fix our minds that Christ has died for our sin, that God has promised to work all things together for our good, that He has given us the Spirit to seal us, a promissory note for the day of redemption. It's those things that give us a deep, confident hope about our lives, a confident hope that none of these things we battle with can separate us. And again, the question for our mouths is not just simply a moral question, meaning, am I avoiding dirty words? The Christian question is, am I building the faith of others through what I say? Is my mouth a means of grace? Or is my mouth a, an indicator that I'm fretting, that I'm anxious, that, that my mind is fixated on worldly things, rather than the hope that Christ has offered? The fact that God will keep us safe until the day of redemption that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Is, is that marked in our words? Do our words display a confidence, a confident hope? But thirdly and lastly, because of who we are in Christ, we must pursue unity. 
He, he says in verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and all. Through our words, listen, the, one of the, the main ploys of Satan is disunity. And one of the main ways that he causes disunity in a church is through our words. It's through gossip. Through maligning each other. Through talking about each other. And, and you'll see it on your handout. We're to seek the, in everything the unity of the community of believers. The unity. That's your brother or sister you're talking about. Christ died for that person. Christ has declared worth and glory over that person, and you're maligning them. And, and the, imagery that, the imagery that Paul uses here, the clothing imagery, we see it, we see it in some of our schools. Bradley goes to a school that has a, that has a uniform. Some of your kids go to schools that have uniforms so that you, you kind of understand the imagery here. Because clothing functions as an indicator of a personal identity. It can have social implications, cultural implications. It can have role indications. Clothing can designate maleness. It can designate femaleness. It can designate young or old. It can designate social status. Again, it, it everything. But you know what a uniform does? A uniform takes away those distinctions. A uniform tends to bring everybody together so there's not these individuals over here who are trying to stand out. Instead, you see everybody as one collective body. And what he's saying here is in the same way, clothe yourself with words that bring unity. Clothe yourselves with words that unite the body that, does, that don't single out the body. Clothe yourself with words that eliminate all the distinctions that our society brings in and wants to divide us. Clothe yourself with words that puts those away. And as believers, you see it on a handout, the sins of speech, it betrays our identity as God's redeemed people. That's why he says in Ephesians 5, we saw it, let no impurity or any of these things even be named among you as is proper for saints. And it's interesting, I read this this week. The studies have shown that the constant wearing of official clothing, listen to this, can so transform somebody to the point that it becomes difficult or even impossible for that person to react normally any longer. A uniform can do that. You wear it long enough, and you see yourself long enough in that uniform. Shanna's shaking, Shana's shaking her head. Think about the military. How'd that happen in military? The individualistic nature is gone. You're unified. Now they, they don't even see themselves as they were. They see themselves as who they are now. Studies have shown that when entire communities follow the same clothing patterns, it transforms the individual's personality into a social identity where they no longer act as an individual, but they act according to what is best for the community. Through clothes. That's the, that's the point Paul is making. That's why he says, put on Christ. Put away those old things. Every day, see yourself in Christ. Every day, see yourself clothed with Christ. 
And really what we're doing, you see it on your handout, we're externalizing our confession. We're bringing it to the surface. We're displaying Christ's supremacy through our behavior. And it's our new identity, all through a new identity. That new identity changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see others. Replacing old markers with new ones. This, this new identity, again, that we're to live out. We're to live out this new identity. Grace and forgiveness. And this new identity is what is to unite us. It's what to bring us together. We've got to learn not only to see ourselves this way, but each other. We're members of one another. And I pray that, that, that we'll see this, even in the words we speak. I pray that we would wrestle with ways for our identity in Christ to dictate how we live, that we'd be mindful of that, that our minds would be fixed on things above. I pray that we would wrestle with how we view others in re regardless of their color or their social status or their education or their economics or all those biases that we struggle with, all those ways that, that we struggle even today. Do not see each other that way. The, the only divider is in Christ or not in Christ. See people that way. And that as a community, you'll see it in your handout, that in Christ we are a community of regenerated people who are seeking to live lives that testify to God's grace. That ought to be our aim. Regardless of color, social status, clothes, any of that stuff. That the distinguishing mark about our lives would be Christ. Not all the ways that we seek individuality, but Christ. That would set us apart. And that, that we would fight Satan's goal of bringing about disunity through our words and all the ways that we want to be individuals. Listen, we're to be a community of people that live to the glory of the one who has saved us. We're to live for his glory. 